Okay. Um, last week, the last Sunday of the year, is a Sunday that I traditionally have called Ebenezer Sunday. Not because of Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, that seems to be the only reference point people have for that name. Uh, but because when I was 17, uh, on New Year's Eve, uh, my father passed from this life. And it uh, has had an impact on me ever since. And I have thought about, uh, has the Lord abandoned us? I certainly thought that at that time, not knowing much. Uh, I know a little more now, and I still don't understand a lot of the things that the Lord does. But the term Ebenezer comes from a song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Now, uh, I'm assuming most of you are very familiar with this hymn. Is there anybody who isn't? Okay. Little couple. Okay. Um, this is a um, major hymn found in almost every hymnal. Um, and it's based on a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 7. While you're turning there, I'll tell you a little cute story. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm hesitant to assume people know this hymn. I assigned a paper at Cal Baptist about 25 years ago when I was teaching the evening college program. And it was supposed to be a uh, APA style. So a certain font, a certain margin, all of that, and a certain number of pages. And I had someone turn it in with very, very wide margins. And they were using a 75 font, which only allowed about, you know, 10 words on a page. So I wrote on the front of the page, come now, font of every blessing. And the student came and said, I don't understand this. And I said, well, you don't follow directions either. So we had a little conversation about, about that. So I always think of that when, <laughs> when this song is, is playing. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, we have the story of uh, the return of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, it had been taken. You, you know that story. Uh, God had plagued the Philistines uh, with hemorrhoids, not hemorrhoids. A lot of people misunderstand that. Uh, and they were, they were suffering terribly. They said, let's return this ark to Israel. They placed it on a cart. They placed it on two, uh, with two uh, oxen. And they said, how will we get it back? They said, the God of Israel knows how to get it back. Uh, just leave it alone. They made little um, golden images of the boils and blisters that they had, indicating they knew where it had come from. And they put that on its way, and it was sent back, and, and it was found uh, in that context. And so after that had happened, uh, Samuel uh, gathers Israel to Mizpah, and he is going to bring them into a battle. Uh, and they are, not, they are not sure whether or not they uh, can follow the Lord. 
And so uh, they ended up following the Lord and battling. In verse 10 it says, Samuel offered up burnt offerings and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel were out, uh, went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone, this is a rock, a pillar, if you will, and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and named it Ebenezer. Ebenezer is stone of help, saying, this far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more within the border of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And so we have this story continuing. Uh, in verse 15 it says, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he used to go annually, annually on circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. And then returned to Ramah, for his house was there. And there he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. Now, Samuel's a fascinating character. But I love this story because it is a memorial stone. It is an altar, uh, not an altar of sacrifice, but an altar of memorial. I believe that we should do that whenever God does something uh, in our life. There should be some statement, uh, some uh, item that is used to indicate that the Lord has brought us to this point. And the point of God bringing us is not to abandon us, but to be for us and to be with us. And so Samuel set up the memorial stone named Ebenezer, the stone of help, and said, this far the Lord has helped us. And I think that we need to keep that in mind because as we move into greater and greater struggle and greater and greater battles, uh, it doesn't get easier. We get better at following the Lord sometimes, but it doesn't necessarily get easier. In the latter part of the 1700s, a man named Robert Robertson lost his father uh, at an early age. I can identify with that. He began to be a serious problem for his mother and for the community. I can certainly identify with that. At the age of 20, he became a Christian. He entered into ministry, and as part of a sermon, he wrote the words, the lyrics to this hymn as a sermon poem. Later, the song had been adapted and, as I said, has been included in most hymnals. It is a statement of faith in the midst of a journey and holds to grace and God's faithfulness as the struggle of the Christian walk is engaged. Its central statement which is now removed from most hymnals, and you'll see it's removed from ours, is in the second verse that says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. In other words, it is based on this framework. Um, but the song has been altered as an indication of the loss of hymnology among contemporary Christians, 
and the diminished place of the Older Testament in the knowledge base of most Christians in churches today. Today, if you say Ebenezer, the only thing that comes to mind is Ebenezer Scrooge, which is connected. There's a reason that name is used, uh, but it it doesn't bring any knowledge to the person who hears it. So I want us to look at the hymn together and to look at the theology behind it. Uh, and this will be the last one I'm going to do for a while. I, I had hoped today to do Great is Thy Faithfulness and last week to have done this one. I'll save Great is Thy Faithfulness and do some of the hymns related to the crucifixion and the cross as we enter into Lent uh, later in the, uh, in the year. So the the song begins with, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And that notion is a call to God uh, for help uh, and to be there and to manifest himself. Certainly, uh, there are many verses that could address this. But the one that usually comes to my mind as I'm singing this song is in James chapter 1, verse 17. In James 1, 17. The scripture says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. This notion of God being the one from whom all blessings flow. We sing that in the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And that notion is what this young man who struggled uh, wants to uh, address. Uh, And so he begins with that. Then he says, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Not thy praise. Not thy creative power, thy grace. And that theme is going to echo throughout all of the verses uh, of of this hymn. And you cannot think about what he's talking about without looking at Romans chapter 5. We have a tendency to uh, think of grace as uh, God's lenience. and it certainly is God's favor, but it is favor to a purpose and to an end. And in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 20, we are told that the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, well, let me read 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a tendency for us to think that the law is a problem and that the law is the, the issue. And so Jesus came to get rid of the law. That is not the case. What the law could not do weak through the flesh. We're the problem. The sin that's in our members is the problem. God did in sending His Son and condemning sin in the flesh so that the righteousness requirement of the law 
could be met by us. Ultimately, in the kingdom, in resurrection, we will meet it in its absolute fullness. We struggle towards that at this point. And so he says, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Now, I'm a string instrumentalist. If you play a string instrument, you spend a lot of time tuning. Okay? It seems as if circumstances and temperature and other people are always messing with your strings and you need them brought back into tune. And so he is using this musical notion of tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Now, there are places all through the scriptures where God's mercy comes to somebody and they exalt the Lord and exalt the Lord and they they bring forth the Magnificat, Zechariah. We've just seen a lot of those in the readings around Christmas. But the one that I think of every time in this context is also found in Romans, Romans chapter 11, where Paul has spent 11 chapters telling what God has done from the creation in bringing Israel to a knowledge of its sin, bringing the Gentiles to a knowledge of their sin, uh, all of that, and then by grace bringing all of us to salvation in His Messiah. And at the end of verse 11, chapter 11, he cannot contain himself. And we get to verse 32 and he says, For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that he might be paid back again? But from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then, and only then, Does Paul say, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, mercies ever streaming towards us. Just an incredible statement. Call for songs of loudest praise. He says, teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. That tongues passage, you, you obviously are going to think of Acts chapter 2, where at Pentecost the apostles spoke in various languages. But he talks about languages above. And so I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, If I speak of, in tongues of men and angels, for the angels certainly have language as well, there, are, there, are, there is an angelic language spoken in praise to God throughout eternity, and he wants to be joined in that. 
I also think of the Isaiah passage where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. And he says, I am unclean. I dwell among a people of unclean lips and his lips are purged so that he may join in to the singing of holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure we are created. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Flaming tongues above. Praise His name. I'm fixed upon it. Name of God's redeeming love. Now we have a switch. If you know this song, you don't sing usually, Praise His name. I'm fixed upon it. What are you saying? Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon him. Uh, The writers, knowing that people don't understand the depth of this, tend to switch. They know people, well, we praise God's name. But praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it. God is our rock. He is our hiding place. He is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And so, praise the mount I'm fixed upon it. Mount of His redeeming love. That redeeming love. How do you express that? There are a lot of ways to do it. It's all through the scriptures that God loves us with an everlasting love. How do we appreciate that we have to appreciate it in humility because if we appreciate it in entitlement we lose the glory of God in that context if we think he loved us because I'm so lovable of course he loves me but if we know that when we were yet without strength Christ died for the ungodly that is love And thinking again of a person who lost a father, and I lost a father in a very ambiguous relationship with him. And I cannot ever get through this season without thinking of the old Doug Oldham song. Some of you may know it. Thanks to Calvary, we don't live here anymore. They talk about going back to the old house. And he goes in and he says, I ran to hide. And the man says, son, you don't have to hide. You've got a new daddy now. Because thanks to Calvary, we don't live here anymore. We don't live in this context. We don't live in this scum life that we had. We don't have the hatred in the household being expressed. We have something new. That is the love of God that has come to us and changes us. It's the love of God that changes us. So, verse 1, not bad, huh? Verse 2, the famous verse. Now, here's the way it's normally sung. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Or as our hymnal has it, Hitherto thy love has blessed me. Hither. They know hither, but they don't know Ebenezer. Thou hast brought me to this place, and I know thy hand will bring me safely home by thy good grace. Now there's nothing wrong with that second version. But if you've learned a song a certain way, 
and somebody messes with the words, it's it bothers you. You know, uh, how many of you heard it the old way growing up? Okay, yeah. So, um, I I'm going to go through all our hymnals and write in. Here I raise mine, Ebenezer. Um, this is the heart of the biblical basis for this song. Uh, we read the First Samuel passage. And Paul talks about this. God has brought us this far. He will bring us all the way. Paul talks about this in Philippians 1, uh, verses 3 to 7. And if you have not uh, memorized this passage, this is one you should memorize. There are certain passages that just ought to be on the heart of every person. Uh, first, uh, Philippians 1, uh, 3 to uh, 7. messed it up. It's not that one. I know the verse. Nope, it's it. That's right. Three to seven. Woo! Can't see. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. I have... Drawn from the strength of the struggle of my pastor, Harold Coble. For years and years and years. It knowing that he could face his death, a very painful death. And trust God fully in that process so that I could learn how to trust God in very difficult times. So, two verses. He who's begun a good work in me. And you only know if he's begun a good work in you if you're in a community and they notice it. And I have a lot of people over the years who say, you're not the guy I used to know. Thank God. I'm not the guy I'm going to be and I'm not the guy I was, right? That's important. And the other one is, I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We're not going to be abandoned by God in any circumstance, in any condition. We could walk away, but he will not walk away. He stays faithful even in our sin. Amazing grace that is talked about here. So he says, Jesus sought me while a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger uh, bought me with his precious blood. Uh, again, we have uh, a little bit of an alternative. Uh, the, uh, the original was interposed his precious blood. But the meaning is clear. And we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed and you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. That notion of the Lord as the one who sought me. The good shepherd who goes after the runaway sheep. And of course, how do you address this without thinking of uh, the 23rd Psalm? Brenda's got a new apparatus that (laughs) shakes her a little. And uh, so I asked her to make sheep sounds. (laughs) And she's getting really good at going... And it makes me, I think of all the shepherd illustrations when I, when I hear that. Uh, it triggers those, those, those thoughts for me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Okay. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all, all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But the best verse of all. Is the third verse. Oh to grace how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace Lord. Like a fetter. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts. Above. Those who are in touch with their rebellion know this song. All of God's goodness, all of God's grace, all of God's mercy, all of the good things He's done, and yet a little opportunity opens and you consider it. Where is that coming? It's coming from this flesh. It's that struggle that says, Are you crazy? After all God's done for you, you're going to think about being unfaithful to Him? And the answer is, you're going to think about it. And if you're not careful, you're going to do it. Well, we have to look at Romans chapter 7. Verse 14. We know that the law of the Torah is spiritual, but I am flesh, sold into the bondage of sin. What I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I want to do. When I'm not practicing what I want to do, I'm doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So then no longer am I the one doing it, but it is sin in me which dwells in me. 
I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me. I can follow any invitation to follow the Lord, right? But the doing of the good is not there. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I don't want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. And I find then a principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Now, why do I want to do good? That's coming from God. That's the Spirit of God. It's the flesh that says, oh no, you know, the little angels on the shoulders. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. And he's going to tell us what to do. He's, we're waiting for the day when the flesh will be changed. In the meantime, we have to reckon this old man dead. We have to not feed the flesh and follow the spirit. And we have to make that the struggle. And that struggle means we need a lifeline to God. And so that's why he says, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. When I was younger, I thought that that kind of a commitment to God was a straitjacket. You know, it'll cramp my style. If I'm going to fight my flesh and follow God, if I'm saved by grace anyway, why, you know, why can't I have my cake and eat it too? And then I found out that that eating of the cake is not good. Even though the flesh is going to chase in that direction. So I don't, I, he uses the word fetter. Here's my, uh, he says, uh, Lord, uh, let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. And then he gives his heart. I don't see it now as a fetter, as this song does, though I like the words. I see it as being in the ocean and having a tube of air that sustains your life. If I walk away from that tube, I will drown. It is not in this world to give us life. That life is coming from outside our environment. And that's why we want our heart and our life fettered to God's word and God's spirit because the this breath, the word and the spirit is coming through that tube And that is our life until the day when he rescues us from the sea of this misery. So, Paul shares with us the experience that many of us have. The wandering heart of flesh, which is enmity against God, cannot be subject to the law of God. But our mind can seek to obey God, even though it's frustrated by the flesh. Those who are minded, hearted for God will have a struggle and a hope. And the struggle of the weakness of our flesh is one that we will carry to our grave. But the resurrection 
will eliminate that from us. So we commit our heart to the Lord, even though our heart can be easily deceived, and the kingdom of heaven, which is spoken of as the courts above. The theology of these hymns really is a combination of the word and human experience. And those of us who love the hymns love them because the truth and authenticity found in them. These people who wrote these hymns are writing from an experience of struggling with truth and with God. And those who struggle with truth and with God uh, need to know them. Now, as much as I don't mind if you teach your kids, well, as I taught my kids, blue suede shoes, whatever Taylor Swift is singing now, I can't understand the words, so it's that, whatever that thing is that everybody's doing. Uh, I don't care if the kids learn that. But you must be sure that your children are exposed to the hymns and the deep theology of the hymns because they are going to need those testimonies and those praises as they walk through an increasingly darkened world. And there are some beautiful um, uh, albums of them musically, vocally, in many ways. Somehow that needs to be in your cars, on your playlists, in your homes, so that we experience these things together. And you can tell them the stories of the hymns in your own context. Uh, I think we have, do we have time to sing it? Can we sing this one? Yeah, let's sing the song. It is hymn number, I opened right to it. How's that? I think we need to sing here, I raise mine Ebenezer on the second one, okay? So, so we'll, yeah, the, so try to sing the right words. No, there'll be a few of you here. All right. Can you drop it half a step? Put it in the baritone range. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise the mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Hither by thy grace I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his 
precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Great song, great song. All right, let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the hymn.